I, I have a question. Who does the Christmas shopping at your house? Let me see your hand. Okay, I'm trying to see if it's more women than men or maybe some of both. Um, I, I, are, you all, are you finished with your shopping? Yes? Okay. I wasn't real convincing. That's all right. You got, what, two days or a, a day today and tomorrow. Um, I don't know why, but for some reason we finished, or I should say Becky finished, uh, a little earlier this year than, than normal as far as getting everything, you know, covered. Sometimes we're right up to the last, and, and then I run up and try to finish a few things at the end. But uh, there is good and bad to finishing early. Did you know that? What I've discovered is finishing early, it feels good, but the problem is Becky can't stop shopping. She just keeps going on, and our kids are happy about that, but she just keeps going. So I'm not sure that, that finishing early is all it's cracked up to be, so we're going to have to work on that. What about the grocery shopping? How many of you men do the grocery shopping at your house? Raise your hand. Two, okay. How many of you women do the grocery shopping? Okay, five. The rest of you, what, what, what do you do? You starve, I guess, huh? You're fasting all year? I had a grocery shopping experience on Friday. Um, this is not a great time of year to be at the grocery store, you know. And um, Becky, is, her, her work is intensified this time of year, so she took off to go do a 10-day, a 10-hour uh, uh, work day and left me. And she was, oh, the, the, the grocery list is on the counter. There's like 40 or 50 items on the list. That's, that's several hours for me. And... Um, when it's grocery shopping this time of year, it's all the odd stuff that you never can find. And then, of course, the problem is I'm trying to do it right because she's got specifically on there what brand. It can't be Del Monte. It needs to be Allen's Green Beans. It can't be this. It's, and then she'll have the ounces on. How many of you husbands have gone to the store and tried to please your wife with the, with the grocery list? It is a challenge. It's really hard. And she'll say, and then I need 10 ounces of this. They don't make it in 10 ounces. They make it in 8 ounces. And so I'm standing there trying to figure it all out. I am so embarrassed to tell you. I went to the first store. I got half of my list at the first store after trying and trying and trying, fighting all the people who were trying to get there also. And I, uh, this is so embarrassing. I ended up going four grocery stores to get that list done. Isn't that sad? <clears throat> and so I finally texted Becky, when it was, you know, and there was the frustration was added a part of it, you know. And finally, I, um, I, I got done, and, and I got the last thing, that sense of conquest. I found exactly the brand and the, exactly the right, um, you know, and I got it, and I texted her, and I said, I even found the whatever it was, some odd item. And can I just tell you, there's nothing like this. She texted back one little phrase, and it melted all of my anxiety. She says, that's because you are simply the best. And I was fine after that. <laughs> Just don't make me do it again next year, please. This morning I got a wonderful email that I want to share with you. Um, you know, we have language, other language services here. We have a service in Spanish, other than besides English. Right now there's a Spanish service going on, a French service going on, a Swahili service going on. And then the afternoon, we have a service in Burmese, and we have a service in Korean. And God has brought us some wonderful, wonderful congregations of people. And um, I don't see the ones in the afternoon very often, uh, but I, um, uh, I, wanted, I got from the pastor of the Korean church, I got the sweetest, 
I hear from many of them, but this morning I, I got the sweetest note from the pastor of the Korean church, and show the pictures while I'm reading this. It says, Dear Bethesda Church and members of the church, I would like to thank the Lord for the blessing he has poured onto Bethesda Community Church in 2018. It has been a little over one year since our church, Worldwide Disciple Korean Church, has been worshiping at Bethesda. We've been praying for a good location to serve and worship the Lord, and through those prayers, um, um, and, and through those prayers, we met Bethesda and our prayers were answered. So we would like to thank you and the Bethesda members so much for always praying for our church and for always greeting us with smiles. In 2017, when our church was first established, we started with only two families and now we have 12 families serving in our church. Growth of our church is through God's grace, but also with the support of Bethesda's pastors and prayers. I am very honored to see the vision the church has for the different groups of nationalities and to serve and worship in one place. We have joined Bethesda during small charity events through offerings, and we are honored to be a part of this vision. We want to invite you to our Korean service and have fellowship, and so we can show thanks for the place that you have offered to us. However, due to not having a translator, that may be hard for you to do. Yes, but we hope that one day we can do so. Again, I would like to thank you for providing us the place to worship and serve both Bethesda and our Korean church. Happy, Merry Christmas. Sincerely, Worldwide Disciple Korean Church. Pastor, Pastor Daniel Shin and your wife, you're here. Would you stand and let us just greet you this morning? Pastor Daniel Shin of the Korean church, where are you? There they are, right back there. Pastors of our Korean church. We are so blessed here in this place, so blessed. <clears throat> you may have heard about it, but there was an incredible experiment um, performed in the subway of Washington, D.C. during rush hour, just some time back. They took the man who was considered to be, uh, many consider him to be the greatest, the greatest violinist in the world, or one of the greatest violinists in the world. They had him take his Stradivarius violin, considered to be one of the greatest instruments in the world, and they asked him to play in the subway station of Washington, D.C., what is considered by many to be the greatest music ever composed by Johann Sebastian Bach. The violinist was Joshua Bell. And he is the man who owns and only plays the ex-Huberman Stradivarius violin, which is valued at a mere $4 million. So you have the greatest violinist with the greatest instrument in his hand, and he is playing what some people think is the greatest piece of music from Bach. It is from his partita. Uh, it's the last movement known as the Chaconne, for those of you who follow that. Greatest musician, greatest instrument, greatest piece of music, and the experiment is to have this played in one of the subway stations of Washington, D.C. During that time, 1,100 people passed by in 45 minutes. Seven people stopped for just a moment, and he made $32, which they threw into his instrument case. So happens that the night before at the Washington, D.C. Orchestra Hall, he received $1,000 per minute for his performance. <clears throat> but on the day of this, experience, this experiment, you have the greatest musician, the greatest instrument, and the greatest piece of music. What should have been considered an incredibly rich treasure, but it was brought to the people in a very ordinary and as you'll see in this video I want to show you, it barely got the attention of only a few people, and even then, for the few people who even stopped, it was only for a few seconds. Watch this for just one minute.
2,000 years ago, the same thing happened. And it's still happening today. The greatest treasure was delivered to this planet and the world still passes by, many without even acknowledging. When you consider that there have been efforts made to even eliminate the phrase, Merry Christmas, and essentially any reference to the Christ child during this season, who is the only reason we even have this holiday season. Can I? Yes, thank you. And then also when I see lyric changes being made to many of our well-established and dearly loved Christmas hymns and carols to soften and to neutralize the message. And even though it can appear to me that many of those well-loved carols and Christmas hymns are being replaced by secularized songs of the holiday season, I want you to know I'm still thankful we have those precious Christmas hymns and carols. And here's why. Because the gospel message is still going out through those carols every time they're heard on a radio station or in a store or sung in a live concert. Even during my grocery shopping, I heard the gospel in those grocery stores. We tend to sing them simply by rote because we've known them so long and we've sung them so much that we've almost, um, how, do, how can I say, almost disengaged from the lyrical content and the message that's there. But I want to give you an example of just how powerful, just, I, I know you know this and you've sung it, maybe you've even sung it this year, but just how powerful the gospel message is from one of my personal favorite carols. It's the one that we call Hark the Herald Angels Sing. The last time that Becky and I saw the Christmas production at Radio City Music Hall in New York many years ago, and I'm sure they've changed it all since then, this song was the incredibly inspiring finale to the entire production. I will never forget it. I happen to know the man who had arranged it, Mr. Bob Krogstad, and it was an incredible, awe-inspiring arrangement of Hark the Herald Angels Sing. When you hear the gospel being presented as powerfully as presented, but just think about the message that's being proclaimed every time that song is sung or played because it answers the question, who is Jesus? It answers that question. It says that, that, it says that Christ is the everlasting Lord. It says that Christ is adored by highest heaven. It says that he is the offspring of the virgin's womb. And when I referenced just a moment ago that, that they are changing lyrics, this is one they've changed. I happened to check it out. Now they say he's the offspring of the favored one. I believe he was born of a virgin. How about you? In fact, I read this morning... Um, something that reminded me just how wonderful our Lord is. Maybe you saw it on, on a little news clip, just a different aspect. You know that uh, in, the, in, the, uh, in the story of, of Christmas, and when we read it in Matthew's account or Luke's account, you see that uh, what an incredible thing that the angel has visited Mary. But it's just a bit of an aside that right before that, you see the angel had visited Elizabeth and, to, and her cousin and let her know that she was great with child, but Elizabeth was much older. And so what I think is particularly interesting, what was in this article, is how incredible of the Lord to let Mary, who's encountering such a life-changing, almost impossible-to-believe situation, let her go and be inspired by her family member who's too old to be having children, but the Lord had done that for her, which meant this. If the Lord can do that for her, it's possible that he can do what he's doing in me. That's what is so valuable and incredible about the church and why we gather together because we have fellowship together and we, we inspire each other and your faith builds up my faith and hopefully my faith builds up your faith to believe God for great things. If the Lord could do that for them, surely the Lord could do that for me. Somebody say amen to that. 
Well, this back to Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It answers the question, who is Jesus? He's the offspring of the virgin's womb. He's the son of righteousness rising with healing in his wings. And it also answers the question, what did Jesus come to do? This carol says, he came to see God and sinners reconciled. He came to lay his glory by so that we, so that man no more may die. That means we have eternal life. He was born to give us a second birth. How many are thankful for it today? So this song is being sung all over the world. Even this morning it's being sung. And yet millions of people can still hear it, can hear the song, can sing the song, and still pass right on by. But ultimately, every one of us have to face the question, who is in the manger? Luke chapter 2, you know this well. Just put it up on the screen for me. Verse 12, Luke 2, 12 says, and this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Now let me juxtapose that and fast forward quickly 33 years to the verse in John 14, 6 that says this. Jesus said... Say it with me. I am. Uh, you know, when you look at the Scripture, it's very clear. You have to note, Jesus did not say, I am a way. I am one of the ways. He said what? I am the way. I, who am I talking to this morning? Is there still people who believe that Jesus is the only way? All right. Now, I, the reason I have to ask that is because I understand that in today's world, that statement has become actually controversial. Not everybody believes that. Our liberal society and many of our celebrities and even politicians want to claim that there are many ways to God, and they will argue that point uh, ferociously. I, I remember growing up in church and hearing many pastors and prophets speak from the pulpit, and I remember hearing them say there will come a day when men will say that there are many ways to God and, and deny that Jesus is the only way. And I remember sitting in, in the pew like you're sitting in today and hearing these pastors say that day is going to come. And I remember thinking, oh, surely that will never happen. And yet, you know, I, I, see, I grew up in a day when people simply believed the Bible. I believe that they believed in its authenticity. They believed it was true from cover to cover. Is that true for anybody else in the room here this morning? And yet here we are in a day and time when people feel that they have the right to challenge everything, including the Word of God. But I still declare from this pulpit today, and I hold to the truth of the Word, that Jesus and Jesus alone is the way, the truth, and the life. It reminds me of another Christmas carol that we've sung all of our lives, Away in a Manger. Well, it's a play on words, and I know that. But this morning, I want to talk about not a way in a manger. I want to talk about the way in a manger. In fact, he is the only way in a manger. And I bring you back to the question of the morning, who is in the manger? Because your answer to that question for you, who is in the manger, will decide if you pass him by today like a musician in the subway or if you make the decision that he is the greatest thing that has ever happened on this planet. You know the Christmas season has started when you start to see the lights on the houses and, and in the stores, and those lights are not simply uh, decorative, they're beautiful to see, but they're also symbolic, and here's why, maybe a little something you've not given particular attention before, because here's what I find interesting. 
The week that you and I celebrate Christmas around the world, which is this time in December, that's considered to be actually and is the darkest time of the year. Did you know that? The sun is available to this earth the least between December 21st and December 25. I think it's significant that Christ comes as the light of the world into our world at the darkest time of the year. Because, this may be a little tough to hear, Christmas is not a reminder that the world is a nice place. Think about it. Even with all of our pretty music, with all the pretty windows, store windows, with all of our parties and all the warm, fuzzy movies that we watch and all of that, Christmas is not a reminder that the world is a nice place. Christmas is actually a reminder that our world is a shockingly bad place, desperately in need of a Savior. And is a hopelessly, it is a hopelessly dark place, desperately in need of the light of the world. I've had people tell me recently, Pastor, the place I work is a very dark place. Very, you wouldn't believe the things that, that I encounter where I work. The, the, the people, the, the, the mindset, the, the culture, the kinds of things that are said, the kinds of things that are done, the kinds of things that are just acceptable to them. I work in a very dark place. Well, you know what, church? You don't shine a light in a room that's already full of light. You shine a light in a room that's full of dark. Therefore, the coming of Jesus into the world was his expression that he's coming into a dark world to give us the way out, which is why we say that in that manger is not a way to God, in that manger is the way to God. In biblical apologetics, this idea is referred to as the exclusivity of Jesus, which simply means that He is the way and He's the only way. So when Jesus says, I am the way, He's clearly excluding, He's making it very clear, He's excluding everything and everyone else. And then Jesus went further to say, I will prove that I am the way by rising from the dead. In fact, the resurrection of Jesus is the confirmation of everything that He said, everything that He claimed He was and would be. The resurrection of that, uh, uh, resurrection is proof of that, including when He said, I am the way. Therefore, when Jesus said, I am the way to God, and we decide that we're going to come up with some other way to God, then we have a problem. And that's what I want to confront today. Because here is where that leads us. If we are saying that there is another way to heaven, which avoids Christ dying on the cross in agony for the sins of the world, then if that's really true, if that's what you're saying, that there is another way other than the cross, you are then saying that God is not good. Essentially, you're saying that God is wicked. How can you say that, Dan? If God the Father allowed His only Son to experience the suffering of the crucifixion, when all the time there would have been another way for our sins to be forgiven and brought into right relationship with God, if that's true, then God is an abusive father. But our kids' choir sang it wonderfully last week when they said, you can't have Christmas without Jesus, and you can't have Christmas without the cross. If you could create your own way to heaven, and it excludes Jesus, then the cross is a sham, which means that if I ask you today, how do you get to heaven? And your answer is, well, you go to church. Then God is abusive. 
If I ask you today, how do you go to heaven, and you give me any other answer, anything other than the work of Christ on the cross, then we have made God an abusive father. And this is what I think could be said of our world today because it's the, it's the culture that we live in. God gave us one way to get to heaven, but even if he had given us a thousand ways, don't you know we would have wanted a thousand and one? No matter what he would have offered to us, we would have come up with something else or we would have been looking for something else. If you're here this morning and your way does not include Jesus, then you have just created your own way because I declare again today that Jesus and Jesus alone is the way, the truth, and the life. But here's the good news. God said, I'm going to make it as easy for you as I possibly can. There's one way to heaven. It's through God's only son, Jesus Christ. In fact, Acts 4.12 says it this way in the Message Bible. It says, salvation comes no other way. No other name has been or will be given to us by which we can be saved, only this one. And with that said, I believe the Lord is trying to tell us something in the birth of Jesus. You know what, church? There's always a message in the story of Christmas. We come to this season every year. We do it year after year. You have your traditions. You have your habits. You have your patterns. You have the things that you do. But I challenge you again this year as I've been challenged in my own heart. What is the Lord saying to you this Christmas? What is the distinctive, distinctive message that God has given to you? It's important that we're always listening for it because every year it can be a different focus. Well, I, I want to offer something to you because I think the Lord's trying to help us know who truly is in that manger. Let me give it to you this way. And I'm going to say just as simply as, as can be said, I think the real Christmas message is this. God has not forgotten you. Turn to your neighbor and say, God's not forgotten you. Not only did he see our pain, not only did he see our sin, not only did he see our lost condition, he said, I see all of that, but I'm going to come down and I'm going to fix that because he's not forgotten us. And so what does the baby in a manger mean? Well, I'm going to give you two responses to that before we close this service this morning. What does the baby in the manger mean? Number one, the gift defines the need. Say it with me. When God unwrapped that gift and brought Christ to earth, he was showing us what our greatest need was. If you brought me a book for Christmas, somebody did this morning. I haven't looked at it yet, so don't, I'm not talking about you. You know who you are. If you brought me a book th this morning as a gift and I opened it and I saw that it is entitled, How to Be a Better Pastor. Obviously, you're trying to define my need, right? Or if Becky handed me a book that said, How to Be a Better Husband, or more specifically, How to Do a Better Job at the Grocery Store, she might hand me that one. Your gift to me would be telling me, in your opinion, what I'm not doing or what, I, or what I'm not doing correctly. When we consider the gift of Jesus at Christmas, it tells us that God was on a rescue mission. His very name should be telling us that because Jesus, the word, the name Jesus means salvation. We also know his name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. The gift defines the need. The gift tells me that I have need of salvation. But though it is offered freely to all, 
Everyone has been offered the gift of salvation. The tragedy of our day is that all too many people will simply walk right by it, even at Christmas time, just like the music of the violinist in the subway of Washington, D.C. Many folks don't mind to come and worship the baby Jesus once a year, but will not worship the God who died and rose again for them. They love to keep the baby in a manger. There was a a grandmother I heard about who began a tradition with her granddaughter when the child was about five years old. Every year, the grandmother would take the little girl at Christmas to see the live nativity. They always saw the sheep and the donkey and the camel and someone portraying Mary and Joseph and wise men, the shepherds and angels, and of course, the baby Jesus was there. They saw the same thing year after year after year after year after year. And finally, the little girl came one time when they went to see the nativity. She said to your grandmother, she goes, doesn't Jesus ever grow up? But you know as well as I do, here's the good news of the gospel, and that is what I'm giving you this morning. I'm giving you the straight gospel of Jesus. He does grow up. He becomes a man. He dies on the cross. He rises again. He is at this moment in heaven today interceding for you and me, and one day he's coming back for us. That's the truth of the gospel. He's no longer a baby. He's the son of the living God, arrayed in splendor and majesty and ruling on his throne. Hallelujah. The gift defines the need. And if the gift is Jesus and his name means salvation, that means I need salvation. If the gift is Jesus and he is Emmanuel, God with us, that means I need him every single day of my life. Number one, the gift defines the need. Here's the last one. Number two, the gift determines the response. The gift determines the response. Say it with me. In his book, um, The Hungering Dark, Frederick Buchner said this. I think they've got it on, on the screen. Those who believe in God can never, in a way, be sure of him again. Once they have seen him in a stable, they can never be sure where he will appear or to what lengths he will go, or to what ludicrous depths of self-humiliation he will descend in his wild pursuit of man. And this means that we are never safe inasmuch as there is no place where we can hide from God, no place where we are safe from his power to break in and recreate the human heart. Hallelujah. Because it is just where he seems most helpless that he is the most strong and just where we least expect him, that he comes most fully. So what does this mean? It means this, since he came to a stable in a manger, guess what? It means he's not intimidated to show up in a bar. He's not intimidated to show up in a honky-tonk. He'll show up at a crack house, and he'll show up at a penthouse. God can show up anywhere, and nothing can stop him. You seem a little nervous with that this morning. (laughs) Nothing can stop him. I love the lyric the choir sings in a mission song we've sung for years. He can search every mountaintop and reach every valley low. There's no place that you can go that you can hide from the Lord. He can find you wherever you've been, whatever you've done. He can find you, and he still is in the business of saving your soul today. Bless the name of the Lord. He's not intimidated by any place that you go. And 
You, he is able to have you feel the convicting power of the Holy Spirit no matter where you go. Since he came in a stable, that means he can show up anywhere. So if the gift determines the response, then what should be our response? Have you had the experience this year or any time recently, did you ever get a gift for someone and you didn't get a gift for them? How uncomfortable or awkward is that? You just hadn't thought about it and they brought you something. Or maybe you received something really nice from someone and your gift to them was really frugal, shall we say. Cheap. Nothing's more uncomfortable than when someone gives you something incredibly nice that you know they sacrificed for and they gave for. And either you don't have anything to give them or your gift doesn't match what they've given you. So the question this morning is this. What do you give someone who has given you their life? What do you give to God when his gift was laying down his life for you? God gives you his only son and you give him one Sunday a month, maybe. What do you give someone who has given his life? Well, you give him your life. That's called Christianity. You give him everything that you are and everything that you have. God has given his best and we give him our best. That's what we remember at Christmas time. Woefully inadequate as our best is, it's what he wants from us. In a moment, just in a moment, I'm going to simply ask if there's anyone in this house today who is saying, because here's what I believe. I believe the Holy Spirit prepares us and works on us. And I also believe this. I believe that God, through the Holy Spirit, can create a hunger in someone. They don't even recognize maybe what it is, but I'm hungry for the Lord. I'm hungry. There is something within me that is craving something. My life is in such a situation, maybe life circumstances and trials and turmoils have brought you to a place that you recognize you need something bigger than you are. I'm here to tell you this morning, you need the way, and the way is Jesus. And he wants to meet you at this Christmas season. There's not a better Sunday in the year to give yourself to Jesus than on Christmas Sunday when we celebrate what God has given to us. So you might say, well, Pastor Dan, how do I give my life to Christ? Well, I'm glad you asked that because I love the little analogy. It's as simple as A, B, C. A, ask him to forgive you of your sin. And the fact of you acknowledging that you're a sinner, that puts you in the same boat with the rest of us. Because you know what? The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You're no different than the rest of us. We've all sinned. But Jesus wants to forgive you of your sin today. Just simply ask him, Lord, would you forgive me of my sins? It's as simple as lifting a prayer saying, Lord Jesus, I, I'm a mess. I'm in a mess. I recognize that I'm a sinner, but I know that you've come to bring salvation from my sins. And so will you forgive me? of my sins. That's A, ask him. B, believe in your heart that Christ was raised from the dead. Just simply say, you know what? I do believe. I believe he was born of a virgin. I believe he came to this earth. I believe he came to reconcile me back to God, put me in right standing with God. You have to believe that that's why Jesus came and that he died on a cross and he conquered death, hell, and the grave to give you eternal life. Ask him to forgive you of your sin. Believe in your heart that he wants to save you today. And number three, you simply is see. You confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Say that with me, everybody, this morning. Jesus. Come on, say it one more time. You ask him to come in. You believe in your heart that Christ was raised from the dead. 
And then with your mouth, you say out loud, I believe that Jesus Christ, I confess Jesus Christ as my Lord. What does that mean? It means he's now the char- in charge, he's the boss. When Jesus is Lord of your life, what does that mean? It means that he's in charge. It means he's the boss. Ask him to forgive you. Believe he rose from the dead for you and confess him as Lord. Is it that simple, Dan? Mm-hmm. It's that simple. And then you start on a glorious journey walking with Jesus, who we call Emmanuel, God with us. If you've never accepted Christ, I want you to think about it. In just a moment, I'm going to give you an invitation for you to accept the Lord Jesus. And we're simply just going to pray with you. Because the gift he has given you has defined your need. Every one of us here are in need of a Savior. The gift he has given should determine our response. We should give him our best everything that we have because he has given everything he has for us. Let me say something to those of you who already have a relationship with the Lord. You know what, there are gifts that you can give this Christmas that are beyond monetary value. I ran across something from Chuck Swindoll that I want to I quote him this morning. Some ideas about things that you could give. Maybe you're still wondering, what do I give this person? They're so hard to buy for. They have everything. What, what do I give this person for Christmas? What do I give that person? Well, here's some things that money can't buy, but they are incredible gifts. How about mend a quarrel? Dismiss suspicion. There's a gift. Tell someone, I love you. Won't cost you anything. Give something away anonymously. There's a gift. Forgive someone who has treated you wrongly. That would be a great gift. Turn away wrath with a soft answer. Visit someone in a nursing home. I did that this week. Apologize if you were wrong. Hmm. Apologizing is something that's becoming more rare. That's something else I did this week. I had to apologize. I was wrong. I was absolutely wrong. That person sitting in the room right now, they know I apologize. I said, you know what? I was wrong. Will you please forgive me? That's a great gift to give someone. Be especially kind to someone with whom you work. What a gift. God, we should give as God has given to us in Christ without obligation, without announcement, without reservation, and without hypocrisy. You know, I love the way the scripture refers to the gift that we've received. It's called the unspeakable gift. And maybe this is the year when you make the decision that the gift you're going to give your family, when you get all together, maybe this is going to be the year that you decide to mend the tension in your family. Ask the Lord to use you. Oh, but Dan, you don't know my family. Yeah, I, 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 I know. You don't know mine either. We have a little tension occasionally in our house, especially when the baby has to be here at 9 o'clock on dedication Sunday morning. And everyone's trying to get ready at the same time. That's, there's a little tension. I've always told somebody, one of the best marriage tips I can give anybody, come to church in two cars. That will help your marriage more than, any, more than anything. That saved our marriage years ago, didn't it, Becky? We started coming to church in two cars. How many know what I'm talking about? Oh, don't be so hypocritical. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Pastor Brent was right this morning when he said sometimes you have to shed the conversation you had driving to church. How many of you had a good drive to church this morning? Raise your hand. Hallelujah. What about the rest of you? Then apologize. Let that be your Christmas gift this year. 
There are so many gifts that you can give. Why don't you bow your heads with me in prayer? Pastor Brent, would you come? Maybe you're saying, Pastor Dan, you know what? I have come to this Christmas 2018 recognizing that there's something happened inside of me. I guess maybe you're right. Maybe it is a hunger. Maybe I've, I'm developing a hunger for the Lord. Maybe the Holy Spirit, really, there is something to that. He's been stirring something inside of me. and Because and, uh, that's what he does, folks. And he makes Jesus appealing. And you begin to realize that you need a Savior. Maybe that's where you found yourself this Christmas, recognizing that you need to give your life to Jesus. Not a better thing you can do on Christmas Sunday. His gift to you has defined your need. You need a Savior. And His gift to you has determined what your response needs to be. So I just want to ask, is there anybody in the house this morning Would you just lift your hand and say, Pastor Dan, would you pray for me for this Christmas season? I want to ask Christ into my life. Anybody in the house? I'm looking across the balcony. Just lift up your hand very quickly, and I will see it. I see that hand. Anyone else in the balcony? How about the main floor? Anyone who says, just lift your hand and say, I need to accept Jesus. I want him to come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. This Christmas, I see that hand, sir, in the back. I see that hand. I see that hand. Anyone else? Marvelous, marvelous, marvelous. Let's stand together, church. What a privilege it is to worship you today, Jesus, and to understand what you have done, that you have brought us salvation. It's what your very name means. So I ask today, Lord, for those who are reached out to you, for those that you have been working on for a while, for those that you've been placing a hunger within them for you, and maybe some who didn't even raise their hands today, Lord, I pray that you will stir up their affections for Jesus. Let something happen as they walk through the remainder of this Christmas season. I pray, Lord, that you will reveal yourself to them. Lord, we'll do what we could, what we can. We're going to tell the gospel message, but you're the one who has to truly reveal yourself to them. Some of us are praying for loved ones that we know that need to come to Christ. Some of us are praying for friends or for uh, people we work with that need to come to Jesus. Lord, would you create a hunger within them? Create a hunger for yourself within them. So, Lord, I pray for those this morning who are saying, I want Jesus in my life. Would you come in and redeem them today? Forgive them of their sins. Be their Lord. They confess you today as they believe the work that you have done for them by coming to this earth as a baby and dying on a cross. So we thank you for the gift of salvation, and we worship and exalt you today. And the church said amen. Right before we sing, let me just remind you, tomorrow night is our Christmas Eve service. That is a precious service. If that's not been part of your tradition for your family, this is a good year for you to start. It starts at 5.30. Service is at 5.30. And if you come the first 30 minutes, the pastors will be here at the front just to pray. Why don't you bring your family? Maybe you've got some in from out of town. Just come and have a word, of a prayer of blessing by the pastors who will be here between 5 and 5.30. We'll start the one-hour service. If Brent doesn't go on too long with the music, it will be a one-hour service. Yeah, no, and the preacher doesn't go on too long. 
It will be a one-hour service, and then you can get on with your other family festivities. Can you just put your hands together, and let's declare the Lordship of Jesus Christ today in this house.